Hi, I'm Charisma O'Keefe. And I'm Angelica Yard. And we're the heart behind the Heart and Hustle podcast. Every Wednesday, we share a new episode with our listeners on topics that range from business and creativity to leadership and innovation. We also interview some of the best and brightest in the industry and spread our love of entrepreneurship all over the internet with our hashtag, BossSoHard. We're on a mission to help you find balance in your life, creativity in your career, and dollars in your bank account. So sit back, relax, and take notes while we show you how to dream big, work hard, and repeat. It is after the 4th of July (laughs) at this time, which is really hard to think about. (laughs) That is. It seems like the 4th of July is so So far far away, away, but it's it's next week. It's really, yeah, it's And are we going to see each other? I don't know. I'll be in town. Yeah, I'm in town, and I think I'm going to have, like, lots of kids with me for some reason. So. I'm gonna do what I did, what we did last year when we came out just right before the fireworks. Oh and yeah, we yeah. Left right after because it was so hot. Yeah. Although I will say it feels right. But you now, live in town not as hot as it was now, so last it's not year. as bad. Like last year, you didn't live in town. Yeah, but that wasn't it because I went to Nick and Melissa's first and oh. then we walked over. I've done that the last. Year. I do that every year. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I guess just, that's the plan. It was just because it was so hot. So Melissa was like, "Yeah." um... I'm not going to go until 10 this, minutes before. Yeah. And we literally walked up as, you remember, like, we walked up as they were going. And not came back. wrong. So I don't something? disagree. So we have your daughter here. She but she's being here. really quiet and, Which is like, not fun for me. I I'm all right on that. Do you want to say something in the microphone? She's, she's like, like, nope, nope. <laughs> um, so today, she literally just, like, did her head like, oh, look, like, my head is heavy. I feel like kids you are like that. It. Do you want to sing Let It Go? She's literally, like, getting out of my lap. She's like, listen. This woman's trying to pressure me. Peer pressure. This is how it starts. Okay. You, oh know, you don't have to say anything. It's fine. I wanted to have a tiny co-host. And then she's like, but, nah, fam. You know, she's, she's like, nah, she's fam. She's not interested. Oh, man. So today's guest, um, we're talking to her about her independently published magazine. And so I thought it'd be kind of fun for us to talk about magazines for a little bit because... You know, creatives don't talk about magazines as often. We talk about books a lot. Um, entrepreneurs yes. talk about books a lot. But there are some really kind of cool magazines. I know for me personally, I'm very much into Crown Mag and what they're doing for brown people in the space. And they featured a lot of the people that I love and would love to talk to on this podcast. And so that's kind of like my recommendation as a creative magazine. And um, I used to love, and I'm sure they, I think they still print short runs. Like they maybe not. They did like a couple um, Domino Mag before they shut yes, down. Primarily, like, that yeah, was my favorite. And so I think they still kind of. I, don't, I haven't checked on it in a while, but I know at one point they decided to kind of do a small run every year or something like that. But Domino, just go find old issues, and it's fine because yeah. they are amazing. So those are my two um, magazine recommendations for I would people. Say, like I love the Queen, Oprah. Um, You're not wrong. Magazine, like it's just inspiring, and like I, like I, I feel like I can pick up any issue at any time, and like and have yes, find something that's relatable. Yeah, exactly. So of course she's a queen, and I love her. Um, I'm a classic. I I love Vogue. Like I do. Oh, of course. And I think like you know coming from like like a being like so visual in what I do creatively, like it's just I always love to be able to pick that up and look through it. Um, I have Lapita's cover like on my. I'll Which like is out fantastic. on my nightstand at all times. Like I'm like I need Lapita's. Well, and the like, fact that Anna has had this reign for so long and still yes. puts out a good magazine. I just watched the Devil Wears Prada actually the other day, yes. and I like I love all the magazines about um, Vogue. I mean, all the documentaries about Vogue. I'm like the September issue, and then there was one that was about the Met Gala that came out. Those are two of my actually favorite documentaries because they're so visually stunning. Because she has such yes. an amazing. 
eye for like just details and design and, and the photography is great and the fashion's great and everything about it's great so i definitely agree with you on that yeah i definitely like i'll just pick up an episode or a, an episode pick up an <laughs> issue and just kind of like be transported and be inspired and that sort of thing so i love that i also really like darling magazine oh yeah which you know we'll have cute. like in anthropology right and yeah. like that um, and I don't read it as religiously, but I really, I, I love it because one of the things I love about it is they don't like touch up the models, which is right. great. And they just use like great a- angles and make people look good. And you can do that. Like people don't understand, like you can do that, especially w- with me and boudoir. Like I don't like to like alter bodies right. and stuff like that. I don't feel comfortable like it would be, you. it'd be weird. Like, I, I feel like cut as, away yeah. you. like that's, so we just use, and everyone ends up like very happy with their results, but we just use. Um, you know, certain angles and things yeah, like that. Just that lighting and so that's what they do in Darling Magazine. I really appreciate that. And of course, a lot of people use like That's Darling and Darling Movement and are, you know, involved in, <laughs> All that, those in hashtags. that movement on like Instagram and stuff. Some of them, if they don't know like where that started from, it's from that's Darling. where it started yeah. from is Darling. So definitely check out that magazine if you like, That's funny that you said that because like, I have list. seen lists of hashtags to and use it's just, like, in the and they never like, ever quote, mm-hmm. it's from Darling Magazine. Now that you mentioned that, yeah. I definitely know yeah. That people do that, so please. So that's darling, darling movement. That's where it's from. So if you're enjoying those types of images that are normally shared in those hashtags, you'd probably be a fan of the magazine. Awesome. So those are our recommendations for magazines to check Let out. Let us know if you have some because we we are all we, about it. I, I mean, magazines are such a. I always forget that they are such a yeah, thing, right? Yeah, it's like it's like I'm always like with my books. It's like I set goals and stuff like that, and then so sometimes I just kind of forget to even right. read magazines. Exactly. But I do enjoy them. They are great on at the airport. They're great on the plane. They're great on the subway. By the way, I definitely read, like, Entrepreneur and Inc. every time I'm in an airport, which is often. Yeah. And I normally will pick up, like, health when I'm in an airport, We used to have subscriptions to Entrepreneur Inc. and Black Enterprise. I just kind of got rid of all my subscriptions. I still have some of them, but most of them I took out and made my mood board, mood board, vision board, or whatever I did last year with my friend. So they also make for really good vision board (laughs) resources whenever you want to do that. Or you can go old school and cut out the photos, put them on a notebook and then use tape to like get them stuck in there you know what oh I'm my talking god about. i know what you're talking about know talking i know exactly about. what you're talking about your spiral notebook yes, your three hole spiral notebook the need notebook yes yep. that was 10 cents at yep. like office depot okay what's yep. up i'm aging <laughs> i am aging myself right now well you guys check out the interview let us know what you think and um again send us magazines that you're into if you have a magazine and you want to be on the podcast notebooks. Oh, show us your notebooks <laughs> from elementary school if you have any of your planners that the school used to give you. I used to put yes. stuff in there as well. Yes. So, all right, enjoy. Are you looking to draw a bigger box for yourself? Seth Godin's All MBA Workshop is an intensive leadership and management workshop designed for change makers who have a fire in the belly. This is for people who are itching to level up and make a bigger impact. Four times a year, the workshop brings together two groups of 100 to 120 leaders, curating the group to pick the right mix of people from different industries and areas of expertise. The end result, you're surrounded by other leaders who are moving to the top of their respective fields and helping support each other to become stronger cross-functional change agents. The workshop splits you up into groups every week so you're meeting a bunch of people you'd never otherwise meet. You're getting and giving feedback and seeing your blind spots in a whole new way. By working on 13 projects during the month, you're constantly pushing ahead and creating a body of work as proof. It's not about passively learning, it's about actively putting those concepts into practice until they become habit. The idea is to drink from the fire hose and rewire your brain to make new, better habits and to have the platform practice those habits. 
So who's been through all MBA? Over a thousand alumni. They include a mix of leaders, including product managers, naval, naval commanders, lawyers, marketing directors, engineers, ophthalmologists, UX designers, filmmakers, and more. This group is half freelance, half folks at companies and startups like Slack, Tesla, Kickstarter, Charity Water, Microsoft, Nike, Trello, Kiva, Warby Parker, and more. If you're a leader and want to become even better, this is for you. There are no lectures, no videos. It's rolling your sleeves and working in groups with people who are equally into winning. It's an intensive, immersive four-week experience of drinking from the fire hose. Over a thousand plus people from 580 cities and 49 countries around the world have all done all MBA. Challenging? <laughs> yes. But our friends at Seth Godin's All MBA believe the rewards are so worth it. Ask any of their alumni. While most online courses barely approach a 7% completion rate, the All MBA has an astonishing 96% completion rate. Their alumni say they do it again in a heartbeat. The working world has changed. With the growth of the internet, there's never been more opportunities for you to level up. If you're looking for ways to have a bigger impact, the All-MBA could help you get there. The curriculum is entirely hands-on. More than 75% of your time is dedicated to shipping your work, practical projects that allow you to apply what you learn. So if you're tired of courses that you never finish videos or you've had them bookmarked, then put those aside and check out All-MBA as a different way to level up. So, they are now accepting applications for the upcoming session. To find out more, visit www.altmba.com backslash heart and hustle. So, that's www.altmba.com backslash heart and hustle. For special consideration, you can mention Heart and Hustle podcast in your application and tell them that we sent you. So, check out the episode and enjoy. Welcome back, guys. We're super excited because we have Jana Marley's Marin here, and she has a magazine that's called Under the Gumtree, which is super, super awesome. So, Jana, thank you so much for being on the podcast and tell all of our listeners about Under the Gumtree and a little bit more about how you got started. Thank you, ladies, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, Under the Gumtree is a magazine that I started almost six years ago now. It's a literary arts magazine publishing creative nonfiction and visual art. So um, there's about seven to ten writers in every issue and two artists, usually a visual artist and a photographer. There's a photo essay in every issue. And I started it when I finished grad school. I, I went to grad school to study creative writing and I was primarily writing creative nonfiction, which is a genre for telling true stories in an artful way, um, the same way that you would craft fiction or poetry is how you would craft telling true stories when you think of the genre of creative nonfiction. Uh, and I was really drawn to this genre because it's about true personal storytelling. And when I finished school, I didn't see a lot of opportunity for publishing or reading this genre. and. My professional background happens to be in magazine publishing, and so I sort of always wanted to start a magazine, and when I was looking for opportunities with creative nonfiction and didn't find a lot, it was sort of this moment in time where I felt like, okay, well, maybe this is the magazine that I'm supposed to start, and so I did. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, I think a lot of our, um, you know, our listeners are very into like starting creative projects and creative ventures. And uh, I know that in the beginning, it can be really challenging. You started back in 2011, correct? 
Yes. Yeah, so you've been, like, you've been at it for a while. Like, I'm sure you've kind of gotten into, like, your groove and, like, you know what you're doing now. But when, when you're first starting, it's really, really challenging. Um, and, of course, like, a good, like, team and group of people make that process a lot easier. So how did you initially choose the people that you wanted to be involved with such a large and important project in your life? Definitely important decisions, for sure. Um, so I have a managing editor now who helps me run the magazine, and she's somebody who I went to grad school with. So we were friends in school, and then when I started the project, she was one of the first people I reached out to and said, hey, I have this crazy idea. What do you think? Do you want to help me? Do you want to be a part of it? And then um, for the first issue, you know, starting anything, any sort of creative project, it really almost is the, the the best way, at least from my perspective and my experiences, just reaching out to the network that you have, the existing network you have, and asking people you know if they want to participate. And that's what I did with the first issue. I just emailed writer friends from school, writer friends from the community in Sacramento where I live, um, and I said, hey, I'm starting a magazine. I'm looking for these kind of stories. Do you have anything that you would be interested in letting me publish? And it's, it very much is a reciprocal, like, trust-based relationship where I'm reaching out to people who I know and respect their work and trust that they're going to send me something that is worth including in the project that I'm trying to put together. And then at the same time, those people put a lot of trust in me without having a visual representation of what the final product is going to be like, just sending me their work and saying, yes, here you go, you can use it, you know, do whatever you want with it and make something beautiful that is for the world and for readers. Um, and so that's what I did with the first issue. And then after that, it was a process of, I, I did have to do a lot of soliciting like that for the first probably like year, year and a half. And then in the literary world, um, a kind of standard practice for literary publications is writers who are looking to be published will look for publications like mine and submit their work for consideration. And so it took us about two years before we were up to a place where we were getting submissions on a regular consistent basis and we had enough to choose from for each issue of the magazine. Right, um, <clears throat> that's super like, because we actually thought about the first thing that we talked about before starting the podcast was actually doing mm -hmm. a magazine. So originally that was going to be yeah. like our, yeah, our go-to. Yeah, we really did. And I wanted to so, so badly. Bad. And so she was badly. like, you need to calm down. Like, I, <laughs> um, but I've worked with magazines closely. Yeah, you knew um, the work that went into it. I know the work that goes really into it. it. Um, and like you said, Perfect. like it, literary world is so different in terms of publishing and the way you're approaching, especially you guys being creative-based magazine and really running off of submissions are, you know, the majority of your magazine. So it's so different and it's a lot harder. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's very difficult. So what I really am... Two years is to me is no time for you guys to really be at the point where you're getting regular submissions because there's so many different types of magazines and so many things for creatives to submit to. For the fact that it only took you two years where people are like, oh, this is really important. I need to start submitting to Under the Gum Tree. That's so awesome. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, it still feels like a long time when you look back on starting a project because I don't know how you guys feel about your creative work or like with your podcast even. I'm a very impatient person, and so I started the magazine, and I wanted like I wanted it to like take off right away, and I felt like 
this is such a beautiful magazine. It's so great. Everybody loves it. Why aren't, why am I not getting the response that I want to see like right away? Um, and so it just speaks to like how much time you really have to put into nurturing your creative projects. And one of the other things that I've really learned with Under the Gumtree is we only publish one genre. We publish creative nonfiction exclusively. And in the literary space, most literary publications will publish fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, like all these different genres, which really makes a difference in terms of the volume of submissions that we get. So we're still, like, we definitely get enough to publish every issue of the magazine, but overall volume compared to other types of publications, we're still probably in, like, a much smaller pool just because we limit the type of submissions that we're looking for. Yeah, and not to mention you launched your project in 2011, which being a print publication uh, was a very, like, it's still very hard, I feel like, for to be a print publication in 2017, but it was very, like, people were very much saying print is dead in 2011. Like, that was every headline. Mm -hmm. So I am sure that that had something to do with, you know, writers being afraid to submit to people who are more traditional magazines versus not submitting to blogs because blogs were so much bigger during that time. Right, it's true. And when you're a new publication, writers don't want to submit to you right away either because there's a risk of not knowing whether that publication is going to be around in mm -hmm. one year, two so years. So true. So. Oh my goodness, it's super, super true. So since we're learning all about print world and magazines, everything, did you have a clear step-by-step -step, step -step plan for Under the Gum Tree when you took, before you took any action or did you do kind of like, I'm going to learn as I go and kind of learn from there? So what was your, your method for actually launching your magazine? It was a little bit of both because I did mention I have a magazine background experience professionally. So before I started the magazine, I had previously worked at a publishing company where I was the managing editor. And so I had experience running publications and the difference with Under the Gumtree was I had never been on the publishing side exclusive, or specifically. So when you think of publishing, like that word is often a little elusive for people because yes, it means making work public and available for general consumption, but it really also refers to running the business side of a publishing business. So thinking about making business decisions about how am I going to get this printed? How much is it going to cost me? How much am I going to be able to pay writers? Am I going to be able to pay writers? Like, how am I going to get a staff to help support me? Um, all of those types of decisions are like the business side of publishing. And that was where I was learning as I go. And you were right in, in saying that starting a print magazine in 2011 was challenging because it was definitely print is, was seeming to be on the way out at that time. But there was a lot of technology that also made a project like mine viable when before the technology like this existed, it just probably would not have even been an option for me to do a print magazine because I started using print on demand, mm -hmm. which is a super smart way where you can do small print runs, whereas with traditional pub, pr traditional printers, typically you have to have a minimum of like 500 or 1,000 copies before they'll even take your business. So going at it from 
you know, harnessing the technology that was available to me, doing a digital version, doing the print on demand where it was only printed for subscribers or people who were buying a print copy, just made it so much more cost effective for me to be able to even do something like what I'm doing. That is so true. Um, I do a lot of annual reports for companies and we do use print on demand services. So that's actually like 100% true. Like beforehand, we wouldn't be able to do it because the volumes were too high and digital printing has completely changed the print game. So we are kind of thankful for (laughs) digital printers and everybody that's out there trying to provide services for people who want to print smaller runs and in smaller companies and support smaller projects. Right. So I am in the process of writing a book right now, so I'm very curious about uh, independent publishing. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the process of independent publishing, and what are some of like the biggest challenges you face when you're publishing independently, and what are some of the biggest rewards? Yeah, so independent publishing is really interesting because I don't have the backing of an organization or an institution to support what I'm doing. So, you know, when I go to writing conferences, I'm usually vending next to other publications that are like university publications or some sort of not-profit literary organization. And while those publications, it's not like they have huge budgets because we're still talking about like arts projects, which we all know are often not funded the way that we would want them to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but they still do have more funding than I have because I'm funding it myself and I'm just one person. <laughs> um, so building up my revenue streams is has been really an interesting process and in learning like, okay, I can charge a small submission fee, I can charge a subscription fee, how many different types of subscriptions can I offer to make it more cost effective for folks who maybe can't spend the higher price point on a print subscription. Um, and then just learning about marketing and trying to get my publication title out there, you know, without the, the sort of um, the foundation or of an established organization that's also very difficult because when there's you know I'm a new kid on the block even still with five years under my belt I'm often um, competing against titles that have been in the market for like 30 40 some odd years just because they're associated with the university and so they have that long staying power and just the the name recognition that I don't often have um, and so those are some of the challenges, but at the same, then like on the flip side of that, you were also asking about the rewards. And some of the rewards for me are things like, well, people will come across the magazine for the first time and they've never heard of it. And they're so impressed by what they see and what they read. And they can tell that I'm doing something different and they really resonate with what I'm doing. And they, they like what I'm doing and they appreciate that it's different from what else is already out there. And that to me just feels like, okay, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I really am putting out something that people want and it meets a need in in the lives of the readers and and the writers who I publish. And that is just, I I, I wouldn't replace that for the world as, as challenging it has been to keep the magazine going as long as, it, as I have. Um, bringing readers and writers together in such a unique way is something that 
um, I, I can't really explain what that experience is like other than um, it's just it's just like very special it's very special that's super awesome I'm sure people I'm on that end of people where I'm like super impressed by what you've done because I know that is not easy um, so anybody that is able to print a publication and do it for six years consistently like that is serious business and I totally understand being in the literary world you do you're it's so competitive against universities and the education space has so much funding behind it so I like I'm totally like I'm hearing all your frustrations I'm like I'm frustrated for you but I want you to know you're doing amazing things so I'm saying that from my end because I like I said we talked about it and I was like ha 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 no. <laughs> I still have not given up on that. I know. I really, I love the idea, but it's so much. Maybe when I'm older, that'll be my retirement, like Our retire, retirement plan. Retirement okay. plan. <laughs> I'll, I'll be all right with that. Okay. Um, so in addition to being a publisher and a writer, you also are a full-time editorial director for a creative agency entitled Winning Edits, which by the way, has the best logo mark of any creative agency right now. And I want everybody to go to it and click on the link when I put in the show notes. So how do you find balance in your career and your personal life? Uh, well, so I'm very lucky to work for an agency that encourages personal creative pursuits outside of work. So that's the first thing. I'm super fortunate to, to have that environment in my job. Um, I'm also very fortunate to have a job that is remote. So my team is 100% distributed. We don't have an office where we come in to, to work together every day. Um, we're located all over the country, so I work from home, um, which gives, which still gives me a lot of flexibility to make time for my personal projects. Um, it's so easy for me to get up in the morning, spend a, an hour or so on the computer doing my own personal work before I have to plug in and be available for like the job work, and um, I, I can't. I don't know. I don't think I would be able to do it otherwise because um, I'm, I'm super like I'm super into maximizing and making the most of the time that I have available and the fact that I don't have to commute or like sometimes I'll just roll out of bed, put my hair up in a bun on the top of my head, go straight to the computer without even <laughs> <a shower>. <laughs> <laughs> I know you that know life. And, and just like save myself the time of getting ready and looking presentable for the world and commuting and um yeah i can i can spend a little bit of time focusing on either the magazine or my own personal writing projects in the morning and then i can often do like another 30 minutes 30 minutes to an hour at the end of the day so i kind of like book in book end my day with my personal work so that i can feel like even if I don't get back to it at the end of the day, I still have, okay, I've done my writing this morning. And if I don't come back to anything else of my personal work for the rest of the day, I still feel very accomplished because I have already given myself the first part of my day. Yeah, I feel like when anybody that works remotely basically has an extra, like on average, an extra hour a day. Yeah. Because um, your average like commute is around 30 minutes uh, for most leases. So it's like yep. just having that extra hour, sometimes hour and a half to two hours a day. Like that's, that's makes a, a lot. No, it makes like a world of a difference yeah, though. It really does. Absolutely. And I, I think a lot of people that 
are having trouble like balancing it all like I think that working looking into a remote job like for those who want to keep like a nine to five and and then have like something creative and awesome they do on the side I really feel like looking into a remote position can be very helpful when it comes to that oh it's so amazing I I I was freelancing before I took the full-time job and I don't think I could go back to a regular job where I have to be at the office from nine to five and just like the technology, again, technology makes it so easy to work remotely mm -hmm. and I can work from anywhere. All I need is my laptop. It's amazing. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> so how old were you when you started writing and what drove you to start writing and also what inspires your writing currently? Um. I, I've always been writing, like ever since I was a little kid, I like one of my earliest memories is being at home in the summertime, sitting on the front lawn under the tree with my knees propped up and a little spiral bound notebook, just writing away, you know? Um, and what inspired me to write back then? I think it was just, um, it's funny to think about my childhood because I'm a pretty extroverted, outgoing person now as an adult, but as a kid, I was pretty shy. And so it was easy for me to just sort of be in my own little world. And writing, I think, is where I was able to like have a voice and say the things that I didn't feel comfortable saying in front of other people. And that process is still true for me today. Um, whenever there is something that I feel like needs to be said, but I'm not quite, quite ready to verbalize it with another person, I write about it first. And it's, it's very much a, a way for me to process my emotions and my past experiences. And I think that's why I'm so drawn to nonfiction as a genre is that, um, nonfiction and like learning how to tell my personal story has helped me heal from past experiences and, and hurts and and also physically I mean I, I, I'm a person who struggles with um, managing a chronic illness I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in 2012 and um, writing has been something that helps me stay positive and learn how to tell myself positive stories about my body and my health and that I really think um, creates a physical, like a positive physical manifestation in my body. Um, so though, like I think just maintaining a more true and authentic personal story for myself is a thing that inspires me to keep writing. I love that. That's like mantra, like maintaining a true and personal, like that's so fantastic. <laughs> like, please thank you for saying that. And that's definitely going to be a quotable for people to tweet because yes. I love that. And I resonated that with so tweetable truth. <laughs> so this is a fun question, which we never really have writers on. So I get to ask, who is your favorite author? Oh my gosh. I saw that question in the list when you sent it to me and I was like, I know it's so loaded. Yeah. It's such, I know. I was like, I was like, this is a hard question because whenever people ask me, I'm like, I, uh, here's my list. Yeah. <laughs> I have like a top five. There's definitely not just one favorite author. So um, some of the 
classic authors who really got me excited about writing when I was younger are F. Scott Fitzgerald, um, Love yes. the Great Gatsby. Yes. yes, that's one of my all-time uh, favorites. Yeah, I've read, I think I've read that novel like 10 times. Um, Jane Austen. Of and, course. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm a huge Shakespeare nerd, and I'm getting ready to go up to Ashland, Oregon for the Shakespeare Festival. Oh, oh exciting. Yeah, yeah. So we totally geek out and see like four plays in three days. It's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing, actually. Um, so please take take pride and show it off, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then, but so for like more contemporary authors, I primarily read nonfiction in these days. Um, so like my all-time favorite nonfiction author is Joan Didion. Um, love her work if you're not familiar with her some of her most recent work is like just so beautiful amazing heartbreaking memoirs about the death of her husband and then the death of her daughter oh my word yeah sounds sounds really heavy is very heavy but I don't know just to read somebody treat those experiences so beautifully is is really I mean, I think that's part of what makes writing so special is when you can, like, enter into another person's experience like that. Mm-hmm. So, and then a couple other contemporary nonfiction writers who I love are Roxanne Gay. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> um, Samantha Irby. She she has a new book out called We Are Not, We're Never Meeting in Real Life. Yeah, I've heard about that. <laughs> title, yep. And then... Um, this gal named Angela Morales. I just met her at a writer's conference a couple weeks ago, and she has a book called The Girls in My... Oh, what's the name of her book? The Girls in My Town. The Girls in My Town. Okay. Awesome. So, yeah. Our goods reads are, like, going to yeah, be loaded from these last two episodes because we've I'm been, like, asking questions. Down. I feel like I, feel like I you know, maybe, like, we're doing it, like, for personal reasons at this point. Probably. It's just like, okay, <laughs> what are we going to read next? Um, yes. <laughs> so many awesome suggestions. So, yes. Under the Gum Tree, you, you make a huge emphasis on telling stories without shame, which is a theme that I noticed, like, throughout all of the... Uh, different uh, magazines as well as just on the site and everything it's like that's just a huge emphasis like stories without shame which I love so what led you to decide that this is going to be the like the main mission for your literary arts magazine thank you for asking that question because when people see tell stories without shame there's often this moment of oh what does that mean people see the whole without shame part and think that it means the stories don't have shame and I have to explain no that's not what that means what this means is the writers are are unashamed to tell their story whatever that story is and this has a lot to do with what I was saying before about how nonfiction is a way for me to tell my true, my true and authentic story, and and be the person who I want to be in the world. Um, when I started writing in grad school, I don't I don't know what you what you guys have the experience with with writing and stuff, but like when you go to grad school, primarily people are writing fiction or poetry, and so I started writing fiction because that's what I thought I was supposed to write, and it was 
mostly autobiographical fiction and I just I just hated it because it felt so like contrived and fake right <laughs> and then I discovered this creative nonfiction genre and it sort of opened up this world for me where I just had this aha moment realization of oh you mean I can write my true stories in a beautiful way that is crafted in a literary in a literary way and it's and it's still considered like a literary genre um and so when I started writing in that way it was a process for me to like understand how my past experiences have been a part of making me who I am as a person and it it helped me sort of like come to a place where I was much more comfortable with with myself and much more comfortable with those stories and I was no longer ashamed of those stories and so that's what telling stories without shame is about for me I love that that's amazing like that's when I when I saw that that was like you know the big mission of it I was just like this is something that I totally want to dive into and I did do some reading of it um before we booked you and I was just like oh my gosh I love this Uh, there were quite a few like I love poetry as well, so like there were just quite a few pieces that I was just like blown away by. Mm, I'm so glad to hear that, and and exactly that is what I'm trying to do with the magazine because I had that experience for myself. I want to create the space for other writers to have that same experience, and I want to be able to encourage other writers to tell their stories and not be ashamed of those stories. And as soon as writers and like as soon as anyone is able to do that and share their story with an audience just like what you're the reaction that you're having is you're moved you're you're connecting and that connection that reciprocal relationship between the storyteller and the person receiving the story it just continues and it it's this positive experience of oh if that person is okay with that experience I can be okay with my experience I, yeah, I think it's so powerful. And I really love that, you know, now people are getting more into poetry and reading more works from independent published authors and things like that. And so I'm really excited that you use your publication to really give writers a voice and you are supporting them and making sure that they feel comfortable saying what they need to say and writing, uh, you know, kind of just all from themselves. So I really love what you're doing. And I I can't stress that enough. (laughs) I can't stop talking about it because I think it's so important that um, places like Under the Gum Tree and and publications like that do exist on online and offline in this space. So thank you for doing that. (laughs) Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for saying that. uh, So you just wrapped up a contest. Uh, So tell us more about your upcoming projects and events that we can look forward to from the magazine. Sure. So Under the Gum Tree hosts an essay contest every year, which is the one that just ended. But we'll have one again next year. So we usually open it for submissions like March, April, and then close it somewhere around June 30th or so. Um, And we do a theme. So um, that's something that your listeners can look for next year around the springtime. Um, But October this year will be our six-year anniversary. And what I did last year for our anniversary was host a, what I called a nonfiction simulcast. And it was super fun. I'm gonna try and do it again this year. I hosted it with two other publications in two other cities. So I'm based in Sacramento, California. Um, 
there's two other nonfiction publications based in both based in uh, Pennsylvania, but different cities. And so we each hosted a reading of an event with a live audience, but then the entire thing was live streamed online. So we also had an online viewing audience and it was so fun and such a great success that I'm going to try and do it again. So that'll be sometime in October. Awesome. That's exciting. October's such a good time to do things. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love the yeah. month of October. It's my favorite month, so. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is my favorite month. Oh, my I goodness. I know. October's such a great anniversary month. It's also my wedding anniversary. Same. So. Same here. Oh, yeah. So, oh, my goodness. Well, I'm so glad that you took the time out to talk to us, and I'm yes, very excited about letting you. people know about Under the Gum Tree using our audience and telling people I, just I definitely so, feel like it's something our audience would enjoy reading. right seriously so if you haven't read it listeners you really should go check subscribe. it out and also, also um you know send stuff in and see if you can get featured too yeah please yes please we are always looking for writers to publish and I will say I, I feel like one thing that we could do for writers is we try to be very um, approachable and we do work with writers sometimes when we get pieces that aren't quite ready for publication if we feel like we see a lot of potential in that piece we can and we have the the capacity on our staff we offer to work with the writer to get it ready for publication that's not something that a lot of literary magazines have the ability to do yeah not at all so yes awesome (laughs) yeah that's awesome i'm gonna probably send you a photo essay now so look for that in your inbox (laughs) i love it yeah Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for taking time out. Thank and we're you. super excited about this interview. And we are so excited to, for things to come and that you continue going for the next 20 years. That's my. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, ladies. Thank you.